You're listening to KTOO News Juno. The following is a broadcast of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event. The events occur once a month, September through May. They feature seven speakers sharing a seven-minute story on a nightly theme. The seven personal stories you are about to hear were told on February 9th at the Northern Light United Church. The theme for the evening was Romantic Entanglements. Music was performed by Juno's marimba band, Najuzu. If you're listening with children or you are sensitive, please note that some of tonight's stories reference sex, though not graphically. raised in the dry and unpredictable state of Montana where he roamed with the pack of sled dogs he was raised by. He was born elsewhere, but it's an unimportant place. However, when surrounded by that particular breed of people, his accent might just slip out. Here he chose a wet and predictable place to stabilize and call home, currently in the process of starting a nonprofit, two businesses, and a new relationship. You may find him out on the dance floor, running atop of a mountain, climbing in a glacier, or paddling a river to the ocean. Please welcome Eric. I am currently in one storm of a wild romantic entanglement here in Juneau. However, that's not the story you get to hear tonight, uh, because some of those involved uh, would prefer that I not talk about them. So instead, I am going to uh, talk about uh, a time that actually started in Montana. And I was sitting around a fire with uh, my head chef and his pastry chef at the time. He says, are you ready to go down south? I said, yeah, I I couldn't be more excited at the time. I had just spent several months traversing across Europe, going through about 30 different countries, and I had been interviewing for this job. In just about every single country, it felt like I had some new paperwork to turn in, a new interview to do. And it was in a uh, McDonald's in Dublin. We found that when you're traveling abroad, if you just turn the M upside down, it's a great place for Wi-Fi. And so it quickly became our go-to whenever we arrived in a new town. And I jumped up and shouted some proclamation or exclamation, and after we had waited a little bit, we had talked a little more, the pastry chef looked, uh, looked at me and said, so, are you gonna be able to get your dick wet? He was kind of a meathead, and uh, I didn't take him too seriously, I kind of laughed, but I was quickly covered in beer from my chef who had just spewed it all over me. He wasn't quite ready for that comment. I was pretty used to it working in the kitchen with the pastry chef. For funny enough for him, when I showed up, I showed up to a bakery full of women. And uh, this was in Antarctica, a place where possibly the uh, female to male ratio is even worse than Alaska. There's uh, seven of us, there's five women and two guys, and the other guy that I was working with was gay, so you know he, he felt kind of out of place all of a sudden in this group of a bunch of men, or a bunch of women, sorry. So we went through, and uh, I always have had this hard and fast rule that I don't date within people that I work with. It just doesn't work out so well, as it turns out. And so I went along and uh, got to know, got to be very good friends with all these other women that I worked with. They were fantastic. They were all great bakers from all these other states they had come from. We had all baked in other places around the world for, for some pretty renowned places, and it was a really fun group to work with. 
we kind of turned out to be a pack. Uh, it turns out in kitchens you always tend to work and do all the outside activities and everything that you do together, and a lot of people end up dating each other, so I got to hear all the gossip over everybody else in station because when you're with a station full of about 90% men when you show up and you're with five women all the time, you begin to kind of become a target for everybody to talk about. Now, there wasn't really anything for people to base this off of, but uh, when you sit around, the rumor mill is a very powerful thing in a small town, as you may be well aware of. There's all sorts of crazy rumors about how Beyonce is going to come down and perform at an Antarctic ice station, how, the, uh, how there's a gun that roams around station and is passed off, but the bullets are passed to other people around station, and how there is all sorts of, uh, there's all sorts of zombie apocalypse theories that go around. Somehow, my story ended up being that I was actually gay, which I'm totally, you know, I would totally be supportive except for the fact that I'm not. But it worked as a pretty nice cover for being able to date another person within the uh, kitchen who was a cook. And her name was, her name was Tessa. And we started out just because I needed some reprieve from the bakery and all the drama that went on there. And so I would go and sneak over to a, what we called salad land within the kitchen. So to give you guys a, a, a little view of the Antarctic ice station, we're about 1,000 people. And everybody has to come to the galley to eat. So you get to see all of humanity of the station walk through every day. And you start to notice people because you get to look through it from behind a screen, but nobody sees you as a baker. And so you kind of watch everybody walk through, and you get to know everybody's routine as they walk through in the morning. There's the guy who argues about his eggs. There's the one who argues that the ham has been stored here for years, which it has. <laughs> and then there's the guy who says that the, uh, the hamburgers are actually made out of fish. I'm not actually sure where that ever came from. But Tessa and I started to get to know each other after uh, the Halloween party, which is a big deal. Uh, packs everybody into a small gym, and we're in there, and I uh, apparently had not brought the uh, correct attire for all this. Everybody else had fairy wings and spacesuits and all sorts of things where I had packed, like, winter clothes and my uh, small carry-on down. And so we got to know each other over uh, set and chess, where my, my typical pickup lines to try, and, to try and get with people. Set is a card game of pattern recognition and, well... I'm sure you're most familiar with chess. And we would, uh, we would go and we would play chess or set wherever we were, uh, usually out in the galley. And as we got to know each other better, we played more and more, and we didn't really do anything outside of play chess and set. But one night I got an invitation to Hut 10, which is the only house on station. And it's had all the important dignitaries there in the past. And as we... Uh, as we Everybody else is showing up. I walk in, and the party's already going on. And from across the room, I hear, you! And some people might take that as, you know, like a, a battle cry. Maybe your fight-or-flight mechanism might kick in. But she was a rugby player, and I, I had lived with a house of rugby players, and I knew immediately what this meant. Is that's their pickup line. And uh, as, soon as, uh, as soon as I was ready, I took another step in and she came bounding through a crowd of people over the couches and hit me like a blindside flanker from across the room with a textbook tackle that took me down to the ground. The only difficulty was is that the other girl that I had been interested in was also in that room. 
our experience had been very different. She didn't like to play set or chess by the rules. And we had fallen in love over, well, she was a scientist. And uh, she had asked me to help with some of her work down there on the, uh, in terms of her science, which was epigenetic traits over worms that had found their way into the human waste sludge that had accumulated from the Navy that had dumped it into the freezing water where it had just frozen and never will decompose. As I rolled around on the floor, we, uh, I regained myself and we, I had to make a decision there whether falling in love over picking worms out of <laughs> or falling in love over chess. And I, I decided to go for the strategic side and we disappeared into the room where Bill Clinton had stayed when he was there. Seeing as I had been up for 48 hours and she was mostly drunk, I don't think the, I think the experience was mostly subpar because it never happened again between us, but that was, the, uh, that was the entanglement that I found myself in in Antarctica in a house where Bill Clinton had once stayed. <laughs> India is a radical girl who attended, attends the University of Alaska Southeast and is a barista at COPA. India likes to pretend she knows everything about politics when deep down she's completely clueless about it. Don't actually try and talk to her about politics though because she'll just nod her head and pretend she knows what you're talking about. She's on her phone too much and needs to learn that there's a world outside of Twitter. She's also bananas over anything banana flavored. Please welcome India. Before I tell my story, I just want to let you know that if you feel uncomfortable listening to it, I completely understand. <laughs> because I am uncomfortable telling you this story. I've fallen in love twice. The first time was when I was 14 years old. He had short, curly brown hair, beautiful greenish blue eyes, and, and he had a British accent. And who doesn't love a British accent? So. I had declared that he was my soulmate. So I would save pictures of him on my phone, and I'd go show my parents this boy, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, we're going to get married at Disneyland. We're going to have two kids, one girl, one boy, Gina and Alexander. And I'm like telling my parents all this, and, and my mom just laughs in my face. like She's like, something's wrong with you. Um, <laughs> So I'm like, ah, no, nothing's wrong with me. Thanks, Mom. And then she's like, ah, oh, sweetie, you're never going to get with Harry Styles from One Direction. <laughs> but I was so determined to prove her wrong. Like, I was like, no, Mom, I am going to marry Harry Styles, and nothing is going to stop me. But as I got older, I realized that my love for Harry was a little weird, and I kind of like dropped it. Like I was like, "Ooh, who's Harry?" Ooh. So, <laughs> that's going around. I'm like, Ooh, "Okay." So I'm like 17 years old, and you know, 17 year old likes to experiment or whatever. So, I met this girl named Danny, and we dated for quite a bit. And she was really nice. I really liked her. She was sweet, um, but she wasn't my type. Which is besides the point. So she was like, if you want to be my girlfriend, you actually have to like talk to my two best friends, which is Toby and Richie. And I was like, ooh, okay, I guess I can do that. So I'm like, so I talked to Richie a little bit. He was okay. And then I talked to Toby. And I realized I really like Toby. Like, 
he was he was charming, he was great, he was really good looking, or so I thought at the time. And I'm like, wow, I really like you, but ah, I'm dating your best friend. So I ended up dumping Danny, and like a few months later, I was like, hey, kind of have a crush on you. And he's like, oh, that's great, because I have a crush on you too. And I was like, wow, let's date. So yeah, so that started. Um, so <laughs> around November 2014, uh, One Direction had just released their fourth album. <laughs> so, and then they were like, yeah, we're gonna go on tour. And I was like, yeah, oh my gosh, they're going to Seattle. Wow, so I was like, oh. I was like, you know, it'd be really great to see Harry again. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe those feelings might come back. I don't know. So <laughs> I'm like, oh. so. I splurged and I bought fourth row tickets and they were like $1,600, which is fine. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't go to college that year. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'm like, so let me just tell you that like July was a good and bad month for me. And I say that because the concert was in July and, and I got dumped in July. And so basically what happened was uh, the day before the One Direction concert, I was spending the day with Toby and it was pretty romantic, I like to think so, until um, I looked up and he had a booger hanging from his nose. And like, I tried telling him like, hey, can I have a booger up your nose? And you know, it's like hanging. And he was like, no, there isn't, stop that. And I was like, no, I'm being dead serious. Like there's a booger in your, like, it's right there. And he was like, no, there's not. And then he tried to kiss me. And I was like, you're not gonna kiss me when you have a booger hanging out of your nose. So I'm like, so anyway, so, he goes home and like, so he goes home and then the next day is the One Direction concert. And I'm like, get myself ready. And I'm like, I gotta look good for Harry. He's probably not gonna notice me cause there's gonna be like a million other people there, but that's fine, it's fine. So, <laughs> so I'm like, ah, okay. So I'm like at the venue and you know, my best friend's right next to me and my cousin and her friend are like on the other side of the stage cause I gave them my lame tickets. And so I bought four pairs of tickets by the way. So, um, so then I like get this text message like right before the concert starts and it's Toby and I'm like, oh, he's probably just gonna tell me like, have a good time. No, it was actually, I want to break things off with you. And I was like, ooh, really? Like on the day I'm supposed to see Harry, you're gonna do that to me? So I called him and like he must have just put his phone down because it went straight to voicemail and then I started crying, and then I realized, like, I might have left a message in there that was something like, why did you leave me? Did I do something wrong? Was it because I didn't shave my armpits? I swear I'll do it next time, all right? And then I realized, like, wow, that was really embarrassing. And so I'm, like, leaving more messages because I'm, like, trying to get the point, like, why would you dump me? And cause I thought, I think I'm pretty great. So anyway, keep that in mind for those. <laughs> so anyway, so <laughs> the concert is like just starting and I'm like not focused on it cause I'm like, I just got dumped and I'm not like gonna care about four attractive boys on stage. And, but then like all of a sudden, like everybody's screaming around me and I'm like, wow, I should really pay attention to like what's going on. So I like look up and there's, there he is, and he has like long curly brown hair and his beautiful greenish blue eyes, and 
and some ugly clothing. I mean, this doesn't count, but you know, ugly clothing and, and some pretentious boots from designers. I don't even know how to pronounce their name. And, and then I realized that like, Toby really wasn't that important. <laughs> and I also realized at that moment that like, Toby was actually never supposed to be my soulmate. I mean, we had promise rings and everything, and we were, you know, getting ready to settle down or whatever. Thank God that didn't happen. Because I realized at 7.49 p.m. Seattle time that Harry Styles is actually my soulmate. <laughs> so that is my romantic entanglement. <laughs> All right, our next speaker is Stephanie Ashley. Stephanie was born and raised in Las Vegas and moved to Juneau 12 years ago. She graduated from UAS and has one five-year-old boy. She works for the city, which consists of driving in circles all day. Please help me welcome Stephanie. So, has anyone ever done online dating? <laughs> And if you have, you probably have your own stories to tell about the situation. Oh, when I heard about this, I knew exactly which story I would tell. So I drive the city bus, I'm getting off for work, I get an invite from someone I have been chatting with online to basically come and play cards with him and a group of friends that were all women. I was a bit hesitant, I didn't quite want to go, it was late, I didn't want the wrong impression to be made because I wasn't quite looking for anything weird. I think is what I kind of worded it, uh, worded it as. I probably should have said something more like, I really wanted to say, I don't want to walk into an orgy or anything, but maybe in the end, that's probably what I should have said. Um, <clears throat> so I'm like, eh, no, I don't think so. It's kind of late. I don't, I'm not looking to do anything this late at night. He's like, oh, no, no, we're just playing cards. I promise that's all we're doing. We're just playing cards. He actually had some of the women that were there call me on my phone to tell me I should come. So in the end, I relented. I was like, okay, I'm gonna come, but let's be clear as to what's going to happen. I'm coming to play cards, I'm coming to meet people, just to be friendly, that's it. I'm not interested in anything else happening. He said, oh, that's perfectly fine, okay, okay. So I show up to this house, and a few other people had shown up since I had had the phone call. So there was the man that I was talking to, another woman that I assume at the end of the night was his girlfriend, um, <clears throat> the woman that owned the house and a married couple that were there. They were all were playing cards at the time that I showed up. Suddenly they're shoving drinks at me. Oh, drink this. Oh, drink this. Drink this. So maybe that should have been a red flag for as to why they were shoving drinks in my face. So as the night continues, you know, they kind of just chat. They go into the garage to smoke and kind of people start acting weird. Like I just thought I have shown up to a party where people are already drunk and so they're acting strangely, and that's the extent to what I thought. So we're sitting around the TV, and they're talking about music, something's happening. The woman, the, the, the girlfriend that I find out about later, she's acting strange, so I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm just kind of, all right, let's just let this go. I turn around, the married woman and the woman that owned the house, I turn around, and they're making out in the kitchen. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not the first time that's happened. So I've seen those things before. Okay, this just might be the thing. So we're like, hey, now, I've probably been there about an hour. Suddenly, the girl, she's like suddenly running around and she goes downstairs. This is like the girlfriend who I am now 
labeling as the girlfriend. She starts running downstairs and she's, I don't know if she's crying or what the deal is going on. So the man's talking to me and he starts talking about something. He's like, so I'm sorry so-and-so is acting weird. I'm like, uh, you know, whatever, that's their deal. Or, you know, she's, I don't, I don't know what's going on. But finally, he tell her, turns to me, he's like, well, we were kind of hoping you'd have a threesome with us. And I was like, what? I actually started laughing hysterically. <laughs> and he's like, is that funny? Are you, you know, oh, is that a horrible thing? I said, that's what you guys wanted. That's your thing. But I think I was pretty clear about what I was expecting when I showed up. And he runs down to take care of the friend after I kind of explain that I am not hanging out anymore. So I go into the garage because I'm trying to be polite, say goodbye. So I go in there and the married woman is not happy with me. It seemed that she, they seemed to all be under the impression that I knew what I was walking into, into that <laughs> situation. <laughs> and so I'm like, I think I'm gonna leave. And they're like, that's a good idea. And maybe some other words may have come from her mouth. And in the end, I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving. And I go grab my stuff. I start to leave. And the, the man that's married, he comes like, I'm really sorry. And you know, it's nice to meet you and stuff. Uh, maybe you should go say goodbye to so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, I think they went down there. I think I'm not going to interfere with whatever's going on with that couple downstairs. He's like, okay, maybe yeah, that's a good idea. So I left, I went home. And I was like, oh, I cannot believe this just happened. <laughs> and then I realized I had left my $35 snow cleats at this house, and then I was totally SOL when I went home, went to work the next day because I had no way to not slip on the ice at work. But I was like, well, I could go. Maybe I could sneak in and get them back. Maybe not. Yeah, I think that's a loss. But that is the story. <laughs> It was something I was really upset with for a while, but then later I thought it was more funny, especially now that I could be like, you know, if you're going to be online, you might want to be clear because then you might be the subject of a story in a situation like this where Juno's small and uh, now you might suddenly hear something <laughs> and know it's about you. <laughs> Our next speaker is Greg Cheney. Greg was born late, and he's been late ever since, which is funny because he was the first speaker here tonight. Um, he even submitted this biography late. He was originally trained in the art of horse, horseshoeing, but he went on to work a variety of jobs, some of which include Wrangler, seismic driller, ski resort shuttle driver, Alaska Department of Fish and Game Technician, librarian, a member of the Exxon Valdez oil spill response, captain of a landing craft, city planner, and currently works as the city of Juneau's lands and resources manager. He's lived in tents for over a year during the course of his life, but never considered himself homeless. He received uh, two degrees from the University of Alaska and a master, master of science degree from the University of Idaho, where he graduated with Sarah Heath, whom we know as Sarah Palin. In his free time, he pursues his hobby as an award-winning filmmaker. Please welcome Greg. So my story is about time and not having enough of it. So I made a little uh, 
hourglass here that is timed to seven minutes, so hopefully I will be able to keep track of time. Um, so I'll turn on my little, hopefully it's working. And um, so beginning of the story, uh, one thing that Sarah taught me is if you can't remember something, write it on your hand. So it's a good, a good tip. Um, August 11th, 1988, 7 a.m. Now you might wonder why 27 years later I can remember that exact time. It was because I was involved with a new girlfriend. We just moved in together. I was trying to impress her. I just graduated. I didn't have much money. I didn't even have a car, but I did have a job. I was a security guard at the Alaska State Museum. And the important thing about being a security guard is you have to show up on time because they don't open the museum if the security guard isn't there. So it's kind of a pressure to show up. And um, she also had this great dog, Tori, who was an old English sheepdog. And if any of you know about the breed, they look like mops and a dog combined. So this, this uh, dog had hair hanging over its eyes. You couldn't even see her eyes. But she was a great dog, but she was very, um, she liked habits. She had her strong habits, and one of them was laying by the couch, and she always laid by the couch, and one day, accidentally put my day pack down there. She laid on top of my day pack and looked at me like, where am I supposed to lay if you put your tack? But, you know, the rest of the floor is open, but that's her spot, right? So that's, she's a very, um, she's just a great dog. And so, so anyway, the other thing that's important to know is my girlfriend was the ultimate morning person. And I am like not a morning person. I'm like a night person. And I wake up, I'm like a little mole with my little eyes barely open in the sun, like ooh. But she's like jumping up, singing the sound of music at 6 a.m. And every morning she would go swimming. And before work, right? Who, who does that, right? So, so. What was great was it was her birthday and I wanted to impress her. So I decided I'm gonna bake her a cake. So the thing about baking a cake, I've baked some bread, I've done some baking. I realized, you know, it's one of those ideas you get and you realize, well, I've never really done this before, but it can't be that hard. I put horseshoes on Clydesdales. How hard could it be to bake a cake? I mean, that might sound good, but there really is nothing in common with the two <laughs> at all. So anyway, I, um, I ran out of notes, so I have to remember the rest. <laughs> so anyway, I uh, went to the store. I went, you know, my mom would have said, you know, you do it from scratch. But, you know, I'm like, oh, hey, this is uh, like pre-mix. So it's pretty easy. And all the frosting mix. And I looked on the, the directions. I actually read directions, so I know that's unusual for a guy. But um, I got all the, all the ingredients, went home, waited for her, the door to shut when she went off to go swimming. Because then I had my window of opportunity to bake that cake. So I um, was running, uh, I was getting my cake ready, you know, doing the mixing, baked the, 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 first, the two layers, let, set them out to cool. Everything was under control. I went in, took my shower, got back out, and, the, and on the, the package for the frosting it said, allow the cake to cool before frosting. And now that was a big clue. I had forgotten one ingredient on the list. That was time. I didn't have enough time to let the cakes cool. But I thought, who lets cakes cool? Old grandmothers let cakes cool. They've got time. I don't have any time. I'll just skip that. Well, frost it when it's warm. It'll be great. So I did the first layer. It was good. And you know what? It was really interesting. The warmer the frosting got, the easier it was to do. I'm like, why don't people do this all the time? So then I threw the second layer on, frosted it up. 
Perfect. Time to put on the uniform, because you have to have your uniform if you're going to be a security guard. So I ran in, put my uniform on, ran back out, and I noticed a lava flow starting. The, the, between the two layers, it gets really hot, and when frosting gets hot, it turns into a liquid and starts to flow, just like lava in one of those National Geographic things. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I walk over there, and it starts going faster and faster. And so I, like, this is like crisis management, so I'm not trying to get dirty, and I grab a handful of frosting and throw it in the sink. And it doesn't stop. It gets faster. So I'm grabbing frosting and throwing it, and by now, Tori's walking right over here. Because anything that hits the floor, that's hers, right? Any food. And so, you know, Tori's now, this is maybe going to be a good day for her. So she's watching me close. I'm throwing the frosting in the sink. I'm throwing it. And then I learned about cake tectonics. The top layer of the cake was lubricated by the heat and of the, of the friction and all that. And it started to shift. And I started to notice it wobbling. And then it started just shifting like... And I look back, and this is the first time I ever saw Tori's eyes. Her eyes were wide. This is going to be her best morning ever. Like that top layer was going to hit the floor. So I was like, no way. I'm not going to let that happen. So I whip open the drawer, and I look in, and there are chopsticks. Like I became Greg the Impaler. Boom, boom. You know, the first one's hit, and it still wiggles. So the second one, it stopped. And I'm like, well, where two works, four would be better. So I hit it with four chopsticks, and I'm like, Oh my God, the bus, I gotta catch the bus. And when you're taking the bus, you can't be five minutes late to work because if you miss the bus, you've missed the bus and now you're an hour late. And then if you're an hour late, the museum doesn't, doesn't open. So I'm like, oh no. So I start running, oh, rinse my hands. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm running out the door, running for the bus. And if you've ever run for a bus, it's like your whole life is running in slow motion and fast motion at the same time, because you're like doing the Olympic track star thing, and yet the bus is coming, and the bus stops, and you're not there, and you're running. And I ran around the corner, and you're praying that old lady that takes a long time to get on is, is actually the last one on. And, you, and I rounded the corner, and I saw the door shut, and I ran up in front of the door, and I got that look from the bus driver, like, really, seriously? To kick the door open, I flew up into the bus and landed in my seat, my hands smelling faintly of Betty Crocker frosting, and I'm saying, did that just happen? Oh, and so then I get to work, I'm like, all day, I'm like, oh my God, I leave such a mess at home. And so, so, you know, at the end of the day, I get together with my girlfriend, it's her birthday, and I said, well, before we go home, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> so we got home, and she, she looks up at, at the cake, and she goes, well, oh, and I must mention that Tori had my back, because any frosting that did get below dog nose level, it's all cleaned up. So anyway, so my girlfriend looks at the cake, and she goes, well, that doesn't look too bad. Would you, this was a cake that was shifted over, chopsticks sticking out, and... Um, and, you know, kind of oozing down the side of the counter. Anyway, and so when she said that, I'm thinking, this is someone I want to spend more time with. <laughs> and uh, we've been married for 25 years.
You're listening to a recording of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event on KTOO News Juno. These stories were recorded on February 9th, 2016 at the Northern Light United Church. The theme for the evening was Romantic Entanglements. 100% of Mudrooms profits are donated to charity. The current profit recipient is Juno's Meals on Wheels program, delivering hot meals to Juno's homebound. Please join us at our next event on Wednesday, March 9th, themed In Uniform. More information can be found at mudrooms.org. Um, okay, our next speaker is Ildi Nylan. Ildi is a proud mother of three beautiful children, ages 16, 11, and 10. She loves hiking, running, bacon, and chocolate, but not particularly in that order. She is currently madly in love, and although the theme tonight is romantic entanglements, that's an entirely different story. Please help me welcome Ildi to the stage. Come on up, Ildi! Thank you. The things we do for love. So back in the days, a long time ago in Hungary, I was a casino dealer, and I loved the job. I loved the people, I loved the pay, money was great. And I realized soon that one of the perks of the job, if I go on a cruise ship, that I can travel, which I always wanted to do. I have to come closer. <laughs> so. get on a cruise ship, you have to call the corporate office, which is in London, and you have to do a phone interview, which I did. And after conducting the phone interview, the lady on the other end of the line said, well, I have a good news and a bad news. Good news is you got the job. Bad news is we don't have a carnival cruise ship for you. You can go on Holland America Cruise Lines. And I said, as long as it doesn't go to Alaska. <laughs> Do not send me to Alaska. <laughs> it's cold there. And I could hear her shiver and she said, I know, it's in Canada. <laughs> she promised me I get to go in the Caribbean. The things we do for love. So some of you might buy flowers. Some of you might stalk others on Facebook. <laughs> I'm not judging. <laughs> nice profile picture. Um, yeah, I moved to Juno. Yes, and it was a huge change. It was a culture shock. Did you know that there is a drawer thingy in the dryer for the lint? Yeah. And the language. I spoke British English, then I spoke American English, then I had to learn the politically correct English, and then there was the credit. You gotta work on your credit. I don't need credit, I got money. 
that's not how it works here. We gotta work on your credit. Okay, how do I do that? Well, you pretend you don't have money and you borrow some. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> well, it's like this. Uh, you pretend you don't have money and they give you this, this imaginary money that you go and spend and then they see how good you are with the imaginary money and then they give you more money to spend. I don't get it. <laughs> but it's like a game, you get points for this. And then, when you're trying to buy a house, you can beat people with your points. At this point, I was starting to get a headache, and I figured maybe I'm just hungry. So I said, let's go eat. I found out that we have a new tradition in my new family, which is to go eat at Taco Bell on Saturdays. Yes, I know where Taco Bell was. I'm local now. Mm -hmm. uh, we piled into the family car, and we drove all the way to Taco Bell, which I then realized that I'm yet again confused. Hey, it's not going to be a a fine dining experiment. <laughs> Two, I don't know what to eat. So standing by the gigantic billboard, I looked up and I said, okay, so what's a burrito? <laughs> well, that's a taco and beans and cheese and sour cream, chicken, oh, okay. Uh, what's an enchilada? Well, it's a taco and a bean and cheese and... <laughs> Sour cream? Uh, okay, what's a, what, what, what's a chalupa? Well, it's a taco and beans and cheese and... Really? Okay, I get this. I'm gonna get the cheapest one. Can I get $5? You got money. I'm working on my credit. <laughs> the things you do for love. <laughs> And just because this is about romantic entanglements, Joe, I love you, darling. <laughs> Our next speaker tonight is Brian O'Sullivan. All right. Uh, a born and bred Juneau townie, Brian is excited to be speaking at Northern Light United Church, the place where his most significant networking connections were cultivated during his formative years as a wee cherub attending co-op preschool. Brian left Juno to attend Western Washington University where he invented his degree in art and psychology and has returned to Juno indefinitely but not permanently. His hobbies include hiking, traveling, merrymaking, small talk, pita chips, canceling plans, and watching Netflix by himself. If you're looking for Brian, he is usually found orbiting the small four-block radius between his apartment, the bars, the legislature, the canvas, and Rainbow Foods. Please welcome Brian. That's pretty good. Hello, hear me? Um, so I just wanted to start off by saying that this isn't a romance story. Um, it is a story about entanglement, uh, but more physical entanglement, which I'll get into later. Uh, and it is about love, a uh, strong, platonic love between my dear friend Alice and myself. Uh, many of you know Alice. She's another fixture of downtown. 
Uh, and I did get her permission to tell this story in case anybody asks. Um, so this story takes place in the fall to winter of 2014. I took a, about a three-month trip to Southeast Asia, and for the first two months, I was traveling alone. And for the last month, Alice accompanied me. And for that entire month, something that we observed was that everyone we met and everywhere we went, everyone thought that we were a couple. And for anyone who knows Alice and I knows that this would never be the case um, for various reasons. Uh, you know, we've known each other our whole lives. She's one of my closest friends. Uh, you know, we have different personalities. She's a Taurus. I'm a Cancer. She's a woman. I'm gay. It's just never going to happen. And we're both very aware of that and very okay with that. Um, but that didn't stop everyone from not only asking us if we were a couple, but speaking to us in a way that they assumed that we were a couple, saying things like, oh, you guys are such a cute couple. And when I would hear this, I would say, do you mean asexual when you're trying to say cute? Um, you know, Alice and I, th the extent of our touching got came to you know, applying sunscreen, and even that was done with a certain level of respect uh, and, you know, distance. And, and it got very exhausting every single day trying to explain to people, no, we're just friends, we're not a couple. So eventually we just started lying. And it became kind of fun. We had a very strict code for our lying. Uh, it was only if people assumed that we were already dating that we would just kind of go along with it and see how far we could push it. And, and we did see how far we could push it, which is kind of the point of the story tonight. Um, you know, people would say things to me like, oh, your girlfriend, she is so beautiful. And I would just go, yeah, my girlfriend, she's a peach. I love her. I love her so much. Um, and, you know, and it, it just a lot of escalating things. Occasionally, we had to be a little bit more creative. This German couple, when they found out we were a couple, uh, probed us with questions about our relationship, uh, asking us things like, oh, like, we fight a lot as a couple when we travel. Does that happen with you two? And I went, you know, we don't really have a lot of tension between us. I, of course, meant sexual tension, but they didn't need to know that. Uh, the truest test of our fake relationship came when Alice and I attended a spa day when we were in Bali. Uh, neither of us had ever been to a spa before. We didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, so we get up to the counter. Alice is flipping through various package deals that you can do, and she stumbles across this one that is a papaya wrap, a flower bath, and a massage. And she goes, I don't know what a flower bath is, but I'm dying to find out. And we would find out later. Um, and so we, we, you know, the guy turns to Alice and he goes, okay, so that is what you want and for your boyfriend? And I just look at him and I go, you know, I'm just gonna go with whatever my, you know, my baby over here picked. I'll just, same thing, papaya wrap, flower bath, the whole shebang, let's do it. So then they escort us down to this room and we're greeted by these two Balinese women uh, they're very beautiful, slender, and in dresses, and their hair's up, uh, and they're, you know, smiling, and the, for the, basically the, our, all of our interactions with them were them, you know, smiling and doing this. Um, and they, they didn't speak very good English, but what they say to both of us in a very clear, um, you know, clear understanding tone is, take off all your clothes. <laughs> and Alice and I just both kind of look at each other, and we're like, oh. Uh, and so we both just don't look at each other, and we turn around, and uh, we strip down to our underwear. We're not looking at each other. Uh, and then comes the papaya wrap, which consisted of them rubbing pureed papaya all over us. And so it was like having a smoothie dumped on you. 
And they're, so there's this orange goop that they're like rubbing into our naked bodies. And then they tightly, uh, you know, mummify us in plastic wrap. And have anyone, has anyone here seen the TV show Dexter? So, yeah, so it's a show about a serial killer that murders people and he wraps them up in plastic wrap first. Uh, it was exactly like that, but with an additional layer of papaya between me and the plastic wrap. And then comes the traditional laying of cucumbers on the eyes. Um, but instead of, you know, just two slices, they put like, like a whole cucumber on my face. And we're, so we're laying there mummified in the papaya and everything for what felt like 45 minutes listening to what can only be described as new age, uh, you know, elevator Hindi music. And then they cut us free and they go, okay, now time for flower bath. And they send us, and there's two bathrooms. There's two bathrooms. I go into one, Alice goes into the other one. And I, you know, I shut the door behind me and there's only a toilet in the bathroom. And I go, hmm, this is strange. And so then I open the door, you know, I'm still in my underwear covered in papaya, and I, I go, there's only one flower bath, what's the deal? And they point at the bathroom that Alice is in. And I go, what? And so then I, you know, I walk over, I'm leaving a, a slime trail of papaya behind me, and I knock on the door, and I go, Alice, there's only one flower bath. And through the door, I just hear her go, what? Um, and so then I just throw open the door and time just stops. There in front of me is Alice, completely naked, laying in a bathtub covered in flower petals. Um, it was just like the scene from American Beauty. <laughs> but unlike Kevin Spacey, I was not into it. Uh, you know, here's this naked girl laying in a bed of flowers and a, a moment truly wasted on the wrong person. Uh, and you know, I, I just what struck me as so bizarre was the size of the tub. Uh, you know, I initially thought when I opened the door, oh, maybe it'll be like a jacuzzi and we'll just both be on other sides and it won't be that weird. But Alice was like, you know, her knees were coming out of it, her shoulders were, uh, you know, I felt like if I got in, we would have become completely entangled. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm like, I guess they just expect us to do it in the tub while they waited outside, you know. I don't really know. I was just not gonna get in the tub. And so I'm standing there in the doorway and the papaya is falling off my body in large orange chunks and I look at Alice and she has the same horrified look on her face and I look at the two women and they're both just standing there and I look at Alice and I look at them and I look back at Alice and I look at them and I go we're not together not gonna do it not getting in the tub um, and, you know, looking back on this experience, I'm, I'm very, you know, I felt like it was the ultimate test of our relationship, um, and we failed. Uh, but I'm very okay with that, because had I done that, um, Alice and I may not only have come back from our trip with memories and souvenirs and photographs, but we very well may have come home with a child. So, happy Valentine's Day. Last speaker tonight is Melissa Griffiths. Melissa is a, long, a lifelong West Coaster, minus a year abroad, who has completed her northward journey, having found her home here in Juneau. She's held many jobs, but a passion for stories and pretty pictures led her to her recent roles as a reporter and currently an Alaska beer evan evangelist and a designer on the side. 
Her life revolves around her many, her main living beings, husband Todd, dog Bo, and friends. Plus, she likes creating things. Despite what people may have heard, she's not really a public speaker and is nervous to come out from behind the newsprint. So let's be extra warm and welcoming to Melissa. A lot of you might already know me, if not personally, than through my years working at the Juno Empire as neighbors editor and a reporter. Um, during that time, I usually told other people's stories. <laughs> so um, every once in a while, though, I did tell one of my own. I talked about um, adopting my dog, Bo, from the Humane Society. And, um, you know, that one time I eloped. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is kind of um, actually like the story that leads up to the elopement. Um, so in July of 2014, so about a year and a half ago, I married Todd and um, it was a great decision, excellent decision. But some of the decisions leading up to that, like before we decided to elope were not that great. When Todd and I first got involved, I wasn't exactly single. <laughs> I was actually in the midst of a two-and-a-half-year relationship. And, um, you know, it was, I guess, going sort of okay. Or not really. Um, so anyway, so we're going to call him Rex. That was Tom's idea. Uh, it rhymes with X. So... <laughs> Rex the ex and I were dating, and uh, so we had some differences. You know, there was a big age difference. We had some differences in opinions and experience and, you know, completely different existential philosophies, but we made a good go of it. And there was one thing, though, during our relationship that I was not open to, and that was non-monogamy. I was like, no, that just sounds like it's not going to go well. So... Um, it wasn't until our relationship was in sort of a deep rut, maybe more of a death spiral, <laughs> that so non-monogamy became a reality. And it kind of, to set the scene, it takes place, it starts on New Year's Eve 2014. So that's seven months before I marry Todd, uh, for the record. And <laughs> um, so we have this kind of long-standing issue where he's always gone on the holidays and on my favorite holidays. Like, he doesn't do the 4th of July. It's too patriotic. He doesn't do Halloween. Too much mischief? Fun? I don't know. Um, he did do Halloween one time. I gave him an out. I said, you don't have to go. I know you hate it. And he said, no, I'm going to go. And he was uh, the Charlie Brown ghost, you know, with like a, a white sheet with two eye holes cut out. It works a lot better in comic strips than it does in real life. Um, so we go out and there are lots of people and his eye holes are like here. <laughs> and so I, and I'm flitting about being a social butterfly and, um, and he just unannounced disappears. And then, and then he got mad at me because I didn't like follow him or something. Um, but this is actually about New Year's also not his favorite holiday, it's, you know, lots of people, revelry, things like that. So um, for the third year in a row, I am celebrating New Year's with nobody to kiss at midnight, and that's a bummer. 
but I was trying to revel responsibly. So I was at a, a party at a friend's house, and everything was going great. But then uh, after that midnight champagne toast, everybody's like, hey, we're going downtown. <laughs> and so I was like, OK, let's do that. <laughs> let's go downtown. And I did. And uh, that night, I cheated. And um, <laughs> I wasn't really supposed to be that enthusiastic about that line. <clears throat> I'm gonna be somber from, I, I cheated, and it was not a good thing to do. Um, but I cheated with the man who is now my husband, if that makes it a little bit better. Um, I justified it because, and I justified it directly to Todd. Like, he was like, hey, don't you have a boyfriend? And I was like, hey, it's cool. Like, he's super into this whole like, concept of like not being monogamous. And, um, and I had always said no, so it wasn't a thing, but then you know, now all of a sudden it kind of was, but he didn't know yet. The thing was I wanted to be with Todd more, but I, wasn't, I also wasn't ready to give up on the relationship I had with Rex, and so when Rex returned, I was like, hey, so uh, what, what about if we did give that non-monogamy thing a try? And so some people do this non-monogamy thing. Dan Savage, he's a sex advice columnist, he calls it monogamish. And for people, it works. Just not all people. So um, we, there's some rules. One of them is like communication, trust. Broke that one before we started, but um, we had other rules that maybe we also broke. Um, one of them was we didn't tell people who we were, we didn't tell each other who we were seeing. And um, so I was seeing Todd and um, Rex was seeing other people, and then we decided we would tell, and then that kind of put a rift in things, because I was only seeing Todd, and he, Rex, wanted me to kind of see more people, and you know, I, I didn't really try too hard at that. And then Rex, he, he was seeing a woman who lived a stone's throw away from my back door, and I mean literally a stone's throw. Um, one time I was upset, and I may have actually thrown a rock. Um, <laughs> But we didn't have a rule about proximity or about throwing rocks. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, knowing and it kind of made things worse. And we, it just brought all of our issues into very sharp focus. So, you know, she did things for him that I couldn't do. And it's not like a sex thing, I don't think. It was more like she would wake up early and make coffee, and she liked, she liked doing dishes. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I got to this point where, you know, he, he was kind of jealous, and I was kind of distant, and I was like, oh, maybe he'll just pick her. Um, and, oh, I'm supposed to stop, but I'm not quite done. Um, <laughs> So anyway, and I realized that I was having a lot of fun with Todd. It was just, we were laughing, we were happy, and there was just this easiness that I had almost forgotten could exist. But, you know, Rex and I still tried. And, um, and then I, like, botched this grand gesture on Valentine's Day that led to a grand blowout. And, and then we were like, okay, we, we'll still try. And um, so we took a break from non-monogamy to focus on us and... Um, it, it didn't work. <laughs> so in April of 2014, this is only a few months after that fateful New Year's Eve, um, we broke up. And um, there was some ugly crying. It was not like a smooth thing. Um, 
And then there was a period of solitary mourning for me, and then I started dating Todd for real. And Rex and I tried to do the friends thing. It didn't really work that well. It was, it was hard. And um, so I severed ties, and hopefully, I mean, I felt free, and hopefully he did too. And then, um, and then I eloped. Hashtag married. <laughs> uh, that is actually how we announced it on Instagram. <laughs> and, um, you know, for me, this is a really beautiful story. Um, but it's not a complete story unless you know all those kind of messy details that led to where we are today. And, you know, after all, you know, none of us would be where we are today if it weren't for all of those decisions, good or bad, all of those relationships, all of that that came before. This is KTOO News Juno 104.3 FM. The stories you just heard were recorded on February 9, 2016. The theme for the evening was romantic entanglements. We still have room in April's event themed Back in the Day, stories of times long gone but not forgotten. And in May's event themed Weather or Not, not your average weather report. To tell your story or to find out when you can attend the next live event, visit mudrooms.org. Alita Bus is our co-host and chief of tact. Tom Cosgrove is our recruitment officer. Rich Moniak is the audio engineer. Pat Roach is chief jack of all trades. Steve Sewing is our outreach coordinator and Kristen Stouter is our executive voice of reason. Website management, iDaughter, T-Crosser, and tonight's audio production. That's me, Amanda Compton. Have a good night.